Welcome to the Untold Stories of Real Estate Investing, hosted by Wayne Courageous III, a place where active and passive investors come to hear the good, bad, and ugly of real estate investing. Our guests consist of experienced operators and investors who want others to succeed by sharing their stories. If you're looking to syndicate deals or grow your wealth passively in real estate, you've come to the right show. It's now time to sit back, take mental notes, and enjoy our next episode of The Untold Stories of Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the Untold Stories of Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Wayne Courageous. Today, I'm excited to connect with Kevin Gardner, president of Multifamily Utility Solutions. Kevin spent nearly 20 years with Comcast and was responsible for managing the team that negotiated agreements with multifamily property owners. For multifamily property owners across the country and their management companies, Kevin's experience has resulted in favorable contract terms and improved net operating income. In 2021, Multifamily Utility Solutions clients increased their NOI by more than $4 million, resulting in an increase in asset value over $100 million. Welcome to our show, Kevin. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we could finally connect. I know it was uh, for the listeners out there, we've been trying to connect for probably two months and mostly it's my fault. So Kevin's been extremely gracious and flexible. And here we are sort of late evening uh, having this conversation. So super excited. Uh, and it's a little different than our, our other typical shows because we're typically talking with operators or passive investors, you know, real estate owners. Uh, in this case, we're going to really dig in on miscellaneous income that isn't just base rent and parking, et cetera. We're going to look at contract revenue through uh, cable and internet contracts and others. So uh, really super excited to have this conversation because I'm going to learn a lot. I always say I'm, it's selfish because I, I dig in and, and ask questions to learn and and everybody, you know, for sure gets the benefit from that. So uh, thanks for your time. So teed us up a little bit about, you know, what we're going to be talking about, but um, how did you get started in this business? And um, and then you sort of found this niche based on your experience at Comcast, like talk to us about, you know, that cycle of how that all came about. Yeah. So when I, I left college and I had the opportunity, I had two job offers. One was to sell cable TV door to door. The other was to sell replacement windows. And I thought cable TV sounded a whole lot sexier than replacement windows. Plus, you got free cable TV at that time. And so I went that route and I, I sold door to door for a couple of years. And this this kind of tells you a little bit about me, right? I, I accepted the job in December in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So it was pretty cold out and got dark early. So it wasn't necessarily the best uh, time of year to do that. But uh, I had a great career with Comcast. I enjoyed being there. I, I really learned literally from the ground up. I mean, that was like the most entry level position I could have. And I did well at it. And I kept getting promoted to other markets. You know, I became a a sales manager and then a marketing manager. And then I got into operations and, um, you know, I was there, uh, for, for quite some time. And, um, you know, the company grew during that time, but, you know, I, I just, part of me just loved that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I was there when they were really small and they started growing and that was just so much fun. I enjoyed that. Nothing wrong with it. I mean, they're a, gr a great company and we do a lot of business with them and I've got a lot of friends still there. But I, I just love the entrepreneurial, small, smaller business type stuff. So I decided to start my own company and, uh, and we did. 
And so you started your own company focused on selling internet contracts to multifamily investors. Like how did that? Yeah. So when we first started, ironically, Comcast and Spectrum were our two of our first clients. And we were actually a third party representative of theirs to negotiate with property owners. And um, I guess we did pretty pretty well because we, we got enough contracts for them that they said, you know what, we feel like our exposure of unsigned contracts is enough for our in-house team to, to handle so we don't need your services anymore. And so here we are sitting at the, uh, you know, the negotiating table without a partner. So we just decided, well, we have all this experience. We know how it is on this side. Let's start representing property owners. And that's what we did. We just sitting at the table. We just slid the chair to the other side. And, you know, I got to tell you, it's been awesome. It, it has really been an awesome experience because, you know, there's just so, there's so much energy on the, on the owner side. You know, a lot of people are getting their first deals under their belt and just getting into it and they're excited and they, you know, I, I love teaching people things and, and a lot of people don't understand what we do and why we do it and why it's such an opportunity. So I love talking to people and explaining to them, hey, this is an opportunity. This is, is we call it a, a little known secret or an often overlooked um, way to improve your NOI. And so, I don't know, there's just more excitement uh, on this side of the table and, and we, we really enjoy it. Yeah. On the office side in managing properties, my experience has been a lot of like the right of entry type agreements. So we'll have, you know, the fiber connections or such going into our building. And the thought is, is that, hey, for you to have access to into our building to provide services to our tenants, you have to pay this fixed fee. Is that type of the contracts that you would see on the multifamily side or you know, how do those contracts, what do those look like and how does that profit sharing or, or fix, you know, how does that all work in particular on the multifamily side? Yeah. So I'm, I'll, I'll use the example of, of Houston, right? So Comcast has a non-exclusive franchise with the city of Houston. Now, contrary to popular belief, Comcast is not the only game in town a lot of times because they want to be. The city doesn't give them the exclusive right to operate. Any other company can come in there. The challenge is that this is a, a very expensive service to deliver, right? And so, you know, a lot of other companies don't want to come in there to take half the market share. So in, in Houston, Comcast has the, the non-exclusive right to be on the public rights of way. Now, if you're a homeowner there, Wayne, and they come to you and you say, yeah, I want to get Comcast, internet service, TV service, whatever you want to get. You sign up with them. You are giving them the right to be on your personal property. You as the homeowner are saying, Comcast, yes, I'm giving you permission to be here. So that gives them the right to come off the public easements onto your personal property. In the multifamily space, there's one more step in the process. So if I'm, if you own a hundred unit property, in Houston, and I'm your tenant, and I want Comcast service, I can't tell them, hey, it's cool, you can be on Wayne's property. All I can do is say, yes, I'll pay the bill that you send me, and I'll subscribe to service. So Comcast needs to come to you, Wayne, the gatekeeper, and get an agreement with you that you allow them on your personal property, even if you're not buying the service for everybody, even if you're saying, look, I'm just giving you the right of entry. I'm giving you access to these potential residents. 
I may help you market your services. And in exchange for that, you get paid one of two ways or sometimes both. You either get paid a what's called a door fee or a signing bonus, which is a one-time fee for entering into that agreement. And or you can get revenue share, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's a percentage of the revenue based on, you know, um, how many people are, are taking service. So you get a benefit for giving them a benefit. And it doesn't negatively impact your, your resident. It's not like your residents are charged an extra fee or anything like that. Everybody in the city of Houston, all Comcast customers, there's a, there's a, a rate card. And it's not like a rate card for Wayne's people because we're paying him and a, a rate card for everybody else. Everybody has the same rate card. Everybody has uh, access to the same publicized promotion. So, so you're not hurting your residents in, in any way. If anything, you can make the argument you're, you're helping the residents because I know a lot of owners who take that one-time fee and they put it and reinvest it in the property, right? I know somebody who who redid their whole pool area with that fee specifically. They're like, we want this money. We want it up front, but we don't want it for us. We want to give it back to the to the residents. And, and that's how they did that. So that's how the whole process works. And it works the same with, with phone companies who are bringing internet service in there or whoever's bringing any telecommunications type services through wires. You can't do anything like if a, there's a direct TV or a dish network because they're they're not using your personal property. You don't necessarily own the, the airspace, the air above the property. So, so that's the, that's what's called an access agreement. But then you could offer bulk service, which means that you buy for all your residents from Comcast at a discount price. And the reason you would do that is possibly for a competitive advantage. Be nice to promote the fact that hey, move to move to Wayne's apartments because you know we offer internet as part of our of our rent. But also, if you're buying the service at a discounted rate and you add it into your rent at a slightly higher rate, you can make more money that way as well. So maybe you're buying for thirty dollars and you're taking your rent from seven hundred to seven hundred and fifty because the perceived value of, of internet service might be 50 or 60 or $70 in your market. So you're actually not only recouping your costs, but you're, you're possibly adding a little bit more to it. And that's another business model, but you know, each property is different. So we always recommend, let's, let's, first thing we do is tell me about your property. We want to learn about your property before we make any recommendations whatsoever. Yeah. So, you know, for me, and I, and I definitely think it, you know, for long-term owners, they take that money up front, reinvest it in the property. For me, it seems like I'm more excited about the ability to grow NOI, just like you've done, you know, as I mentioned during the your intro in 2021, because at the end of the day, you know, our investors, the more revenue at the, the larger the NOI, the larger the value of the property, which benefits, you know, the investors. So, I like the idea of buying in bulk and then selling or I guess offering that service to our tenants or our residents. But one of my questions is, is can you build that separately? Does that look like it's you're making a profit? So if cable discounted cable is $30 a month per unit, I'm I'm going to charge it $35. So each unit I'm I'm profiting $5 or I'm benefiting. Dollars for the NOI. How how does that look from an FCC and you know regulation? You know, it, to me, it just it, it seems like 
you know, you could get in trouble for prop, you know, upselling. So I just I'm curious on, on that. Yeah. Here's, here's how you look at it. And, and what you described is, is not exactly how it would work. So when you buy, you buy for a hundred percent of your unit. Okay. You can't just pick and choose like this guy wants it. This guy doesn't this, you know, you buy for a hundred percent of your units, thus the bulk. And that's why they can pass on the savings and offer you a lower rate because they're not sending trucks out there all their time. They're not, they're billing one person instead of a hundred. Um, you're going to be more likely to, you know, just billing costs and collections costs and things like that. So, um, now, and, and there is some downside in that because, you know, you are paying for a hundred percent of your units every month, regardless of whether or not the, the, it, the unit is occupied. You're, you're at 90% occupancy out of a hundred. You're still paying for the other 10 that aren't having it, aren't receiving it. If people don't want it, don't use it, you're still paying for it. So you have to factor all those things in. And in some cases, it can be a great thing. I tell people it's just like having a pool or a workout room. It's an amenity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Treat it as an amenity. It's part of your rent because it's an amenity that you offer. So if I'm living in your place and I use the internet amenity, but I don't go to the workout facility or I don't go to the pool, you've still paid for those things, just like you're paying for this. And if I don't use it, it's not an important amenity for me, but it's still one that you have to pay for and everybody can use if they want to. Well, it's almost like when you sign a lease, if that's the case, it almost needs, regardless if you use it or not, whether you bake it into the rent, as you suggested earlier, so it's not an obvious line item or you're separating it on the on the statement as miscellaneous income. My struggle with it in the past is when I'm underwriting properties, it's usually a 30,000 plus it's a, it's a pretty large number uh, on an annual from on the income side or excuse me on the expense side. And so the overall percentage of expenses compared to revenue are, you know, 60 65% where I like, you know, typically 50 55% and so I look at the revenue, I'm like, oh, what's offsetting that expense? And to your point, you know, just a moment ago is it's like sometimes there's there's a loss or slippage. So you're not recovering dollar for dollar. So the first question I'm asking, Kevin, usually the broker is how long is the contract for? You know, when when right. can we get out of the contract? Because, you know, the, I'm losing money and part of the value add is maybe to get out of the contract. So what do you typically tell um, buyers when they're in that situation, when you're representing a potential buyer, is there a way to renegotiate those agreements or anything uh, from uh, that could help you know ease some of that loss if the prior owner got into an agreement that's still on there for two years or more? Right. So I will tell you this: that it's as important. It's important to find out if there is a bulk agreement. If you don't want a bulk agreement, because like you said, it's a fixed expense. I mean, you, it, you know, it, it, it is absolutely a fixed expense and which is one of the, the cons to, to doing something like that. You know, one of the negatives, if you can find out and, and believe it or not, well, if there's, if there is a bulk agreement like that, you're going to see it in the, in the financials, even if, you know, so there should be automatic red flag that says, Hey, here's a, a contract. I will tell you this, that when people ask me which contract is, is better, I, I you know, that's their choice. But I will tell you that I've never seen a cable company or internet company allow a, a bulk contract to be early terminated in exchange for an access only agreement, unless it's bought out. 
So if you see a bulk agreement in there and you don't want bulk agreement, the only out is typically to require the current owner to buy out of that agreement. If you, you know, I, I can tell you, and that's if you're undecided, I always tell people go with the right of access, right of entry, because they will terminate that agreement to go bulk, but they won't freely terminate a bulk agreement to go back to right of, of entry because they want bulk. Bulk is their preferred way of doing business because they, they count 100% of the customers. They, you know, they, you may see that, think that they don't make as much money, but they, they, they do because they're not rolling trucks out all the time. Every time somebody moves in and out and they're only sending out one bill and they've got fewer phone calls and, you know, just the operational expenses alone are, are preferable on a bulk. So therefore the savings more, you know, pretty much offsets it. So. Yeah, that would be my recommendation. Yeah, and I think just to recap, and, and I want to go back to the right of entry, but on the bulk, there's pros and cons. Pros being that your property's getting that discounted rate, you're able to put it back into a rent, have some type of profit. In theory. In theory, because it's viewed as an amenity, right? So you're you have this amenity in doing so, you can, you know, maybe push rents, et cetera. But the cons of it is is there's going to be a loss because regardless if you have 100 units and 90 are occupied, you're still paying for 100 units. So if I switch off to the right of entry, if I'm hearing you correctly with that, it's the residents don't have the right to allow a service provider onto the property because they don't own that, right? So the so me as the owner, I have to approve that. And in doing so, I should be able to negotiate a right of entry fee for them to compensation. Comp- yeah, you'd be, you'd be compensated for that right to be on there. And and when we negotiate it, we re- do a right of entry, but we, we never do an exclusive right. So we don't ever, it, you're not negatively impacted because you're not taking away choice, right? If there's a, a property and there's already providers on there, what we see is if the property is more than 10 years old, the chances are that the We'll, we'll use Comcast for an example because in Houston, right? Same same property. It's 12 years old. When they built the property, there there was an agreement signed with Comcast, which means it's it's probably a 10 year agreement, which means it's been expired for two years or it's in an auto renew period. So we can then go back and negotiate another 10 year agreement. So it's not like they're on there without your without somebody's permission. They sure. got somebody's permission at the time that property was built or 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 later to be on there. But we see most of the time is these agreements are expired. And so they're in an auto renew um you know I saw an agreement the other day from 1976 and it didn't even have anything to do with internet. It still had cable TV only on it. So obviously that was a mom and pop who you know, signed the agreement when they first, you know, bought the property or or, or built the property, and over time, they it just it never occurred to them. They didn't know to go back and and do anything. They just, you know, the cable company kept operating and operating, and they they just didn't know. And so they had gotten to the point in their life where they wanted to. They didn't have anybody to pass it on, you know, so they weren't really creating generational wealth by having, you know, kids that that wanted to take it over. So so they we're going to retire and, and sell it. And it just never occurred to them that they should, you know, be looking at, uh, you know, those agreements, you know, every so many years. Yeah. So if you have an old agreement that is expired, the owner 
would look to a company like yours, you would review that document and then go and negotiate a fee for them to continue. So one, to renegotiate the contract, to have a, a, a current contract in place. But in doing so, you're you're going after or representing an owner for that revenue, that fee that should be paid on behalf of that company? We're, right. Yeah. We're we're so yeah. So what we do is the first thing we do when we when we engage with with a, a new client is we we listen, we want to find out what are their goals, what are their you know, I mean, if you're trying to create generational wealth, then that may be a different strategy than look, I'm trying to buy this thing. I've got investors on this thing. I'm going to take this thing from a, a C to a to a B, and then we're going to sell out, and, and we're going to you know we're going to reposition it. We're going to we're going to you know pay back the investors, and and that's our goal. That's a very different. Those are two different, very different situations, right? Very different scenarios. So we want to know what are your goals, and and so then what we'll do is we'll go if if they don't have through the due diligence or on file a copy of any agreement that they can give to us. We will then ask them for a letter of authorization that allows us to go to the cable company, the internet company, the phone company and say, Hey, you know, this is our, our new client that they're, you know, they've purchased this agree, this, this property. What do you have on file? And, and oftentimes they, they have things on file. Sometimes they don't even have things on file because like properties, cable companies have been sold over the years, right? So, you know, in, in documents, they didn't used to be recorded. Some of them are now, depending on uh, the location and the, the, the providers. Um, and so they, you know, they, they may be able to produce something, in which case we can take a look at it. We give it to the owner. We evaluate it and say, is this consistent? Is there an opportunity here? You know, and, and it may be in the middle of an auto renew period, you know, maybe, you know, it auto renewed on January 1st and here we are on April, April 14th. So we may have to wait for that next auto renew period to, to kick in to give notice. But usually if it's in an auto renew period or, you know, between 12 and 18 months away from the expiration of a term, we can usually negotiate a new agreement because they want to, you know, they know it's going to happen anytime, you know, in the, in the short term anyhow. So yeah, let's just do it now. Got it. So what size unit properties does this make sense for? Because I would assume, you know, with our single family homes that we've owned and rented, you know, we didn't go, we didn't sign an agreement with Comcast, you know, the tenant just called up. So I assume there's right. a certain number. What What is that? And when should somebody really be looking at this as a way to add revenue to their NOI? Well, I will tell you the sweet spot's a hundred. For some reason, when you get to a hundred, it's, it's pretty much a lock that there, there will be a contract either expired or, or, or current, there will be a contract, there will be an opportunity. In some markets, it depends on the provider, you know, and how competitive is the market and things like that. So I would tell you that if you've got 50 or more, definitely give us a call. We do a free assessment. We don't charge you anything. So that's the unique thing about how we get paid. We only get paid if we make money for you. Okay. And we get a percentage of it. So our goals are aligned, right? You want us to, you want to make money and you want to make as much as possible. We want you to make as much as possible because we get a percentage. The more we bring to the table for you, the, the greater we get, not greater percentage, but the greater, you know, um, gross, gross payment. So, um, yeah, so that, that, that's kind of, I, I always encourage people to, to engage us as quick as possible. You know, even before closing, sometimes we can find things out. We may not be able to get a copy of the contract or anything like that. 
but sometimes we can say, you know, we can we can find out is there a contract, is there not a contract, and you know, so so is as early as possible. Yeah, with cable becoming, you know, I still have cable. I I'm old school. I like the remote. I like to go through. But I've tried the streaming, and eventually, maybe one day I'll get fully on board. But is that changing your structure and how your business model works? Is or is it just is cable becoming as um, demanded in these properties? I mean, obviously internet is, but where are you seeing cable going over the years? And and do you feel like that's going to change over time with these providers? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's inevitable that at some point everybody's you know doing streaming services and and apps and you know those sorts of things. But you know the the pipe, the broadband pipe is is absolutely critical to 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 have, right? So you know just when when internet came in, right? Internet was was down here and cable TV was 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 up here, and then over time there's been this movement that's that's t- taken place and. You know, you got to believe at some point, you know, you're going to be hard pressed to find a house without Internet access, you know? Yeah, we live out in the country and there's this we have a Wi-Fi tower on the barn that connects. I mean, we've got, you know, 30 up, 10 down. It's a, It works. We're having a conversation right now through Zoom. But, yeah, it, it's hard to imagine that, you, you know, I mean, I know obviously many parts of the world don't have Internet, but it's just, you know, it just seems like such a basic thing that you know through satellites or during school they were talking i think google or some company was doing like these hot air balloons that were you know these uh, countries they don't have access to uh, the internet they were you know doing these so it just eventually you would think the entire world would have basic internet you know yeah well yeah and in even in you know like you said out in some of the rural areas um you know we get consulted with a, a lot for people who are looking to get service out in those areas. And um, the government's been very supportive in, you know, uh, in, in supporting those efforts to increase rural, you know, rural broadband. And so there's a lot of companies that are now, a lot of them are the electric co-ops, you know, out in the rural areas, there's electric co-ops. So they already have the poles, they already have the infrastructure, they already have technicians, so for them, they're, you know, a lot of them now are um, evaluating whether or not they should build broadband systems where there isn't one already. Yeah, that makes total sense there. All right, so let's talk about the FCC. Uh, you had mentioned prior to the show that FCC had a recent ruling that caused some changes. What is that ruling? What are the changes? And then uh, do you see any future FCC uh, changes down the road coming soon? You know, yeah, I mean, um, so on um, February 15th, the FCC issued uh, an, an or, a ruling, an order, and it's just going to change how we do business. It's, it's really designed to protect consumers, to not allow um, any owners to limit choice, you know, for financial, well, you know, for, for fi- financial gains, not to eliminate choice. And all the things we've already talked about, the, some of them will change slightly, but they won't go away. So, for example, one of the big things here is, and we mentioned revenue share, right? So a lot of the revenue share came through what was called exclusive marketing agreements. And the exclusive marketing agreements would oftentimes pay a graduated scale, right? So, so Wayne, in your property, I'll give you 2% of the revenue I get if, if, if I only get you know, less than 30 out of a hundred customers. But if I get between 30 and 50, I'm going to pay you 4%. 
So not only are you doubling the number of customers and the amount of revenue, you're doubling the percentage. And, and let's say you, you do really good and you get like between 50 and 70. Well, you know, maybe I'll give you a couple extra percent. And then if you get over 70, maybe I'll give you more. So that's called a graduated revenue scale. That is no longer going to be allowed because the feeling was that they were kind of, you know, pushing people and not letting them choose. So the expectation and everybody I seem to have talked to have said, look, okay, we don't, we can't do graduated. We'll just do a flat rate. We're not going to eliminate the, the revenue share and the flat rate will be based on some averages. So, you know, from a, from a, you know, perspective of the owner, it's not going to be a measurable difference um, in, in compensation. Door fees are, will continue. Bulk will continue to be available. Revenue share agreements. If you have an exclusive marketing agreement with, with, with somebody in place, you know, you can't do an exclusive marketing that prevents another provider from coming in. You can't, you know, uh, avoid choice. And then if the, you do happen to be in an exclusive marketing agreement, you have to disclose that. So any promotional materials or anything like that, it's got to be a little bit more open book. Yeah, that makes sense. And so when you, you've mentioned Comcast, uh, and so with the power of choice and, and, and not limiting it to an exclusive, it's just pretty much saying you've got to allow other competitors to enter your building so that the residents have the choice. But in doing so, are you able to, you know, if that if that's out there from an owner standpoint, they've got to be in my building regardless. I can't turn them away. So my negotiation power, am I tracking that correct? You, that- you, they have to have your, they still have to have your permission got to it. be there. Okay. They still, I mean, that's still your personal property. It's just a matter of who all is available. You can't like, you know, kick somebody out. I mean, it, you can't, let's say, and, and I'm not trying to pick on Comcast. It's just the example we use. I mean, you know, if, if you have Comcast and AT&T both in a building and AT&T is doing, you know, internet service and their contracts expiring and Comcast says, I'll give you, you know, a lot of money to kick them out. You can't do that. You got to continue to allow the choice that's there. And in some markets, there's other companies that are, you know, a third and even a fourth provider. I'm working with a property right now in Huntsville, Alabama. They've got four choices, each of which has 1G service or, or, or greater available, you know, so, so, so there are those markets you know, like that as well. Yeah. Are there certain mark? Are, are you covering all markets across the country? Are there certain markets in particular that uh, you prefer? I, I, FCC governs the entire United States, right? So I assume probably the full markets, but what is your territory base or just for those listeners? We have the ability to do business anywhere. The challenge is if in, like in, as you mentioned earlier, in some of these rural areas, right? There may be only one choice or there may be a, a um, DSL service that's, you know, like like three meg or something like that. And there may be a cable company that maybe has 100 or 200 meg service. And, and the cable company is going to be like, well, why should we pay you anything? Because we're really kind of helping you. So it does depend on the competitiveness of the market, what other providers are there and things like that. I will say that while we have the ability to do business in, in all 50 states, we've not done business for probably a couple reasons, you know, referrals and, you know, we haven't done business yet in Hawaii or Alaska, but done business in, 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 you know, a lot of the, the continental and, but it just, 
it, it comes down to, you know, where our clients are because it, it, it you know, we offer referral, uh, referral fees and things like that. So that, you know, we, we always like, you know, I mean, as you know, referrals are great. And so we've got a lot of business right now in North Carolina and a lot of business in um, Texas. You know, some of the other states that, that seem to be really hot for us are like Tennessee, Indiana, Ohio tend to be, you know, really, really good for us right now. No, I think this is great. And I think, you know, moving forward, we're, we're on contract for a property in Houston and I will definitely be in touch. I see a bunch of satellite dishes all over the property. So it makes me think that, you know, there's we need to really dig in on that and see why or what agreements are in place. So just a side note, I'll reach out to you afterwards on that. But it's, uh, but, I, but I do think it's just something that, you know, like you said earlier, is people getting you involved earlier in that process and just having this type of conversation and getting the awareness out. Yeah. And Wayne, real quick, let me just walk you through what a process would look like for us to do that. So when you're a new customer, a new client of ours, you've got to say, hey, Kevin, I've got a hundred units. All we're going to say is what's the name of the property? What's the primary address? and 100 units you already said, we're going to go do our homework. You're not paying us for any of this. We don't do retainers. We don't do hourly. We don't do any of that stuff. We're going to go do our, our due diligence, and we're going to come back to you and say, Wayne, here's what we found. We found that there is a contract, there isn't a contract, and here's what we think we can get for you. If you want to move forward and have us get this for you, then that's when we do a contract with you, and you say, yes, if I get this, you know, then I'll, I'll pay you. And we go from there. If you don't want to do business with us after we've done that free assessment for you, that's fine. That's fine. We're not here to make an hourly rate. We're here to make a long-term relationship. Yeah, I love it. Well, I prepped you earlier before this call, before the, you know, about your proudest moment. And I ask, normally it's very real estate related, but you can go wherever you want with that. So what is, uh, what's your proudest moment recently? Well, you know what? Honestly, I hope I haven't had it yet. (laughs) <laughs> I hope there's still more to come. I can tell you a personal, um, very personal, um, proud moment. And uh, it, that is that uh, on April 1st, I celebrated six years of sobriety. That was pretty cool. That was really cool. You know, I, I, on real estate, we're involved in real estate right now as a service provider to multifamily properties. But I've got a target of 12 to 24 months where I want to begin to invest passively because yeah. I see the upside to it. And I think my proudest moment will probably be when that goal is attained and we are passive investors. Yeah. Well, you know, do a plug or do a, a meetup uh, the first or the fourth Monday of every month. And it's all about educating passive investors. So whenever you do get to that point, you can ask the right questions and know what to look for. So, I mean, that, that's what the syndications, I don't, you know, whether you invest with us or not, the ultimately it's all about being educated. So take the next two years, like this, this is your goal and, uh, you know, continue uh, on that path. So good for you. And congratulations on that six years. That's a huge accomplishment. So thanks. And it, it's not by coincidence that the business has grown tremendously as well. And my life has gotten better. It, it's very rewarding. And the best part about it though, is helping other people. For sure. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about on the show? Or uh, if not, how do people reach out to you? Yeah, we can keep talking if you want. How much time do you have? Um, you, you know, know my um, dog's out there starting to get a little antsy, which makes me a little antsy because I'm waiting for them to bark and all. But uh, you know what? I've got, I've got one that's running around in the other room, so yeah. I can relate to well, that. I bought, but, uh, so two weeks ago, I know, you know we're still being recorded right now, but I bought eight chicks 
uh, so we have chickens and I have them in my office. Not right now. I moved them into my son's bedroom, but they're getting louder and louder. So uh, between (laughs) them and then I've got a great Dane in the lab and, but hopefully in a few weeks, those chickens will be in their coop, not in our house. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. I've got a boxer who was running around the um, sectional in the other room. I could hear her doing that. (laughs) Uh, hopefully she'll be ready to go to sleep here soon, but, uh, best way to reach me, Wayne is, uh, you know, our website is multifamilyutilitysolutions.com and, and my email is simply Kevin at, um, multifamilyutilitysolutions.com. And, uh, that'd be great. Drop me an email and just, you know, make sure you, you know, have folks say that they, they heard me on Wayne's show and, uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I'll reach out to you. I'll send you an email tomorrow about the other deal, but really appreciate your time. And again, thank you so much for being flexible. Every time I change the day, you're always so uh, forgiving and, and positive. So really appreciate that. You know what, Wayne, that's one of the things I've learned in business is you, you have to be, you, you know, you, you just, you just have to be and because um, it happens. Yeah. Well, uh, look forward to working with you and thanks for bringing these insights to our show. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on Wayne. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. That's all for this episode. We hope you subscribe, share, and leave a review of the show. For more information about passively investing in multifamily apartments, check out Wayne's free ebook by going to creipartners.com forward slash ebook. Also, follow us on Facebook by searching CREI Partners. This was the untold stories of real estate investing.